What is really going on, Crypto Savages? You are listening to the CoinSpice Podcast with host C. Edward Kelso, editor-in-chief at CoinSpice.io, your home for spicy crypto things on the net. All right, so this is a, a really cool opportunity for the CoinSpice community to get an inside look here at the goings-on in Hong Kong, uh, which is uh, grabbing headlines really all over the world. And we have with us uh, this particular episode, Joey B, um, who is based in Hong Kong. First off, how do, we, how do you actually get to Hong Kong? Like, what's your, what's your kind of backstory? Uh, what's my kind of backstory? Well, basically, I was actually born in the UK. Uh, I grew up between uh, Hong Kong and the UK, so I sort of bounced in between. Uh, I, went to, I went to school in Hong Kong. I went to school in the UK. I uh, went to university um, in the UK. And I worked in the UK for quite a bit of time. And then I came back to uh, China, actually. I went to China first to do some work there. And then I moved to Hong Kong. And then I was working in Hong Kong. Uh, then I left my job, started my uh, business. And, uh, and yeah, so th- that's basically me now. <laughs> Very cool. And so you're, you've been living and working there for, for a while, yeah? In Hong Kong, yes, yes. I, be, I think I've been here like... I've been here like, um, hmm, I think like eight years now, something like that, eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. So in that eight years, um, for people who've not been to Hong Kong, uh, Westerners especially kind of see it as this um, economic oasis. Um, How would you describe Hong Kong generally? I would say they are correct. It is an economic oasis in many ways. I mean, in terms of, obviously, I, I lived a long time in the UK, so I do have sort of a Western comparison. You know, the, the taxes are, are very high in the UK. It's a lot less pro-business. There's a lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of, like, health and safety regulations. So, so you know, that, that free market dynamism is still really, really uh, going on in Hong Kong. Um, I would say that, I would say that most of their assumptions about Hong Kong are probably correct, um, if that makes sense. In terms of that, it's this very economically free place. Uh, you know, it's sort of, you know, ha- suffered in the past, you know, since the return of Hong Kong uh, from the UK to China, it has slowly had certain things eroded. That's a very complicated topic. I'm sure we'll talk we will talk, you know, some about that. That you sure. know, certain things have been taken away from Hong Kong, and certain things have been happening. But in general, you know, if you if anyone from the West comes to Hong Kong, I think they will still be very be impressed by you know the the free market capitalism here. You know, the trans the infrastructure. You know, you know, it's a beautiful city. You know, there, there are a lot there are lots of things. You know, I mean, there's a reason it's still a world famous city. You know, it's not a it's not it's not a wasteland, you know, if that's what people think it might be, you know, if, if, uh, I don't know what people in the West think. And the, um, I mean, it's, it's per capita. I mean, people there, you know, that has, uh, I believe I've heard all sorts of weird statistics and trivia about the number of billionaires there and so on. Um, so there's a lot of money sloshing around in Hong Kong. Yeah, there, there's a lot of money. I mean, Hong Kong is a very important Asia financial hub. It's not as important as it used to be um, uh, due to various reasons, uh, obviously the growth of Asia in general and such and such. But uh, yeah, like in terms of per capita, like Hong Kong has very high living standards uh, as like, you know, well, I think one of the longest 
life expectancy, you know, average life expectancies like in the world, you know, uh, very highly educated, you know, all that, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's rich. Obviously, I, I guess, I don't know if you were going to follow up. Obviously, there is a huge income inequality problem in Hong Kong. And uh, this that's is something that I, I saw that you wrote a, a little bit about in, um, in, in a chat room we, we both frequent. And I found that really interesting because it's not something I, I really hear about. But uh, you're saying there is a, a kind of a, a, a big disparity there. There is a massive disparity. I think Hong Kong has, I, I don't know, I don't have my data here, but I think it has one of the gen, uh, highest Gen I coefficients in the world, which is like a measurement for inequality. Uh, one, in, surprisingly, you know, for a place that, you know, if you go out to the streets, there's just Mercedes and Rolls Royce and Lambos and all this stuff, right? Apparently one in five uh, Hong Kong people live in uh, poverty. And um, I, I actually, recently uh, saw a statistic which said that which which said that basically uh, about 80% of Hong Kong people earn less than 20,000 Hong Kong dollars uh, to give you a that's about like uh, 2,500 USD a month and the rent here like if you get a like flat will easily be like a thousand five hundred USD a month like for comparison so it, it it's 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 uh it, it's it there there is a huge i mean this is actually partly in my opinion uh you know where a lot of the social you know discontent you know sort of breeds from is that we do have this really deep economic problem in hong kong do you think that that's a function of um hong kong being returned formally to uh to mainland china and people from the west um coming there and, and trying to make a go of it or or am i misunderstanding that uh hong kong is a very it's, it's kind of like inside china it's like a special district so you can't actually move from china to hong kong uh, like if you move from china to hong kong you actually have to go for immigration process so uh it's actually like they have a, a specific quota per year of how many immigrants they can bring in hong kong actually have, does actually have quite a tough immigration system that's fascinating. Okay, because that was my assumption that maybe uh, people from the rural areas were coming into Hong Kong and therefore skewing that Gini coefficient in the way that you said. But uh, that's probably not the case then, uh, due to their their immigration uh, restrictions. So, yeah, you you kind of began to, to to touch on it, and I found that interesting too. That you're not um, you're not uh, giving too much credence to some of the conspiracy theories uh, about U.S. involvement, but. Uh, before we jump uh, too far into that, protests in Hong Kong prior to this were fairly infrequent. Am, am I right about that? Yes, that is correct. I mean, uh, these uh, these protests. I mean, we do. They do have like strikes, and they do have. I mean, we are legally allowed to do protests and stuff. So there there have been things, but on this level and this scale, very very rare. I mean, I think historically. The last time was like 1970 something when the Brits were still around. Uh, got it, got it. And so the the this particular round of protests uh, was sort of a perfect storm. Is is that correct? Like there's yes, that, yeah, yeah there was a, yeah. From what I hear, there was a a a I guess kind of a salacious uh, um, love triangle murder that happened in uh, yeah. Taiwan or something and it sort of spilled out. Can you sort of take us through that a little bit, sort of the highlights? Sure. So basically what happened was that there was a, there was a murder case um, in Taiwan 
And this Hong Kong guy, you know, killed his girlfriend in Taiwan and then escaped to Hong Kong. And uh, there, there was no way they could basically extradite him out of um, Hong Kong from Taiwan. So they, they wrote up this bill that basically um, would legally allow you to do that because they had no such mechanism. So the, the, the actual real story behind this, no one really knows. But what I've heard from sort of inside sources is that um, apparently in the Hong Kong administration, this is uh, someone, some genius, thought it was a very good idea to basically take this bill and use that, you know, to win some favor from Beijing, to also happen to use this bill to say, okay, well, if we're going to do extradition, why don't we do extradition to China too? And then they wrote that into the bill. And then that's how the thing kind of spiraled out of control because uh, the, the Hong Kong, as I, as I heard, the Hong Kong administration was trying to actually curry favor from the mainland government because they you know, wanted to look good or whatever, you know, kill two birds with one stone, as they call it. Um, and then obviously, you know, they, they, that's, that's how the Chinese part of the bill got added. Now, in terms of whether this bill is needed or not, absolutely not, because Taiwan has already come out and said that they don't even want this bill. Like, even Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan is the one that would benefit from this bill being passed, right, because they would get the, you know, there are other mechanisms of, you know, you know getting this guy back to Taiwan. Um, and, and, you know, even a Taiwan, Taiwanese government has said that, you know, we don't want you to do this bill. So it's absolutely bullshit that basically they're going, oh, we have to do this bill because of this, this Taiwan case. That's not, that's not true at all. That's really interesting because there's, uh, well, there's, there's at least two tensions happening here. And, and one that uh, I've, I haven't allowed you to kind of go into too deeply yet is that mainland China is, is officially a communist government. Hong Kong is its sort of, as we've discussed, a little economic oasis and kind of um, one country, two systems idea uh, economically. And then Taiwan is a whole mess, you know, outside of that where um, they're trying to be recognized as a uh, sort of a separate entity and, and China still has claims on that. Is, this, is, is that right? Yeah, that is correct. Though I would say that... Um, it, I don't know what, what uh, how am I supposed to respond to that one, but I would I would say that it's actually pretty funny because uh, because for the the whole idea that China wants to go for is basically that Taiwan is part of China, right? They want right, Taiwan right. To part of China, but this whole thing they're doing in Hong Kong is just making all the Taiwanese go fuck this. You know, this is like why would we why would we why would we want this? You know what I mean? It's like it's totally. I find that fascinating. Yeah. Because, you know, like they're going like one country, two systems. It works great. Look at Hong Kong. It looks, it's working great right now, you know. So, so um, it's, it's definitely like, you know, this whole thing has definitely made everyone that's considered even thought of joining China kind of, kind of rethink about it and go and thinking like, well, yeah. you know, if this is what we're going to get, then, you know, it's not really, really going to go down well, right, is it? <laughs> and, right, and so Hong Kongers then are at least some of them, uh, those that have taken to the streets at, at various points, um, are worried that they will be essentially enveloped, that the you know, existing protections that, that as you say, kind of separate the two, uh, mainland and Hong Kong, will be eroded through this, this extradition uh, proposal, right? Um, I think there are sort of three, po- I think there are sort of a few points 
to that particular to that particular comment. Number one, I feel like this has been brewing in Hong Kong for a long time. Like there are lots of problems in Hong Kong, lots of things the Chinese government did. Lots of uh, there's a huge lack of um, economic opportunity in Hong Kong for people uh, that are poor. Um, I guess I, I guess I should go into this because it's kind of important. Um, you know, Please. the root cause of everything in Hong Kong, in my opinion, is that there is this huge problem in Hong Kong where the property is really, really, really expensive because they, the, what the government does is that officially the government has very low tax, but the government owns all the land and they highly restrict that land supply. So they only sell very little bits of that land at a small piece. So it's kind of like, it's a socialism. It's a, it's a socialist, it's a socialist mechanism. And right. they raise money price by control. selling that land, right? They, yeah, they price control. So essentially, it's a subsidy for landlords, right? So what has happened in Hong Kong is that everything in Hong Kong essentially is really, really expensive because of this, of this government thing. They, they raise money um, by selling land, which is actually a kind of taxation that people don't really understand. So when people come to Hong Kong and they go, oh, everything's very expensive, it's not because the demand is really there. Like, yeah, sure, the demand is part of it, but... But it's also like it's unreasonably expensive because all the rent prices and everything is like basically propped up, right? By this like really screwed up, screwed up system. And, it's just and the money artificial. just goes. Yeah, it's completely artificial. So it goes. The, the money all goes to government, and they completely waste it. I mean, there there's no there's no so there's very little social welfare in in Hong Kong, which is kind of funny considering that they raise so much money uh, from the from from the land sales and all that. And uh, so, so I don't want to go too deep into that because that can go forever. But basically, this <laughs> is ruining the entire economics of the Hong Kong oasis. We talk about economic oasis, right? So the economic oasis is getting tainted by this problem of, well, you know, you can't, you start a business, you're paying so much rent unless your, your restaurant is like full, you know, to the max, like every day, right? You basically go bankrupt because the rent is that ridiculous, right? This is essentially a really heavy tax. Um, and this has the, a, a huge effect on social mobility for Hong Kong people. So, we, you know, we talked about the one in, one in five people in Hong Kong living in poverty. And, you know, that's kind of the reason why, because they're getting really heavily taxed on the property side, but on the property side by the government. So going back to the protest, basically, to me, a lot of it is just all this stuff is just coming out. Like all these problems are just coming out. And the extradition bill was the trigger. Like, will the extradition bill actually affect most Hong Kong people? Probably not. I mean, I don't think, I don't think most people would really be under the threat of, you know, being mm -hmm. extradited to China, right? I mean, they might say a few things about President Xi Jinping, but I don't think that will get you extradited to China. But, but. But I feel like this was like the thing that pushed it over the edge, if you know what I mean. Like this yeah. is the this was the this was like the light the, the Tinder match in in basically like this thing that was gonna blow up. So it was it was always there, but this was like the line they kind of crossed. And and the the, the second point I have about this is um, I feel like the original people that organized the protest and you know they did this pro democracy this freedom stuff. Uh, it's out of their control at this point. Like this stuff is totally viral. Like whatever they planned, I think they're no longer in control. Like it's, if you know what I mean, it's, it's kind of spread to all these other districts. Um, it started off as actually like a student movement. It was like very intellectual. It was very, you know, young people. 
now you have like grandmas and like taxi drivers and like construction workers like coming out and go, you know, throwing rocks and stuff like that. So it, it's kind of like a democracy PR campaign, but it's completely like gone off the hook. Like it's like totally like worked and just, it just exploded into this thing that even the people that are supposed to lead it are no longer in control in any way whatsoever anymore. It's kind of lost its focus. I, I wouldn't say it's lost its, its focus. I think it's, still, it, I think it's still very focused, but I would say that I feel like no one is in control of this anymore. There's no one who can come out and go like, let's stop. You know, let's, let's, let's put an end to this. Mm-hmm. Let's come out and make it. There's no one, there's no talking heads of any kind for the, for the movement. Um, it, 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 it would be like if you're a company and you launched a viral campaign and the viral campaign just kind of like, went off the rails and really became viral and there was nothing you could do about it. Um, or like, you know, you, you set, you set a force on fire and then you like, basically it starts lighting up all the like, you know, adjacent bushes or something like that. Sure. No, that's, that's a, that's a brilliant analogy. And so you've seen this firsthand. Um, I caught wind of it uh, through really social media where, um, people living and working in Hong Kong were suddenly beginning to post pictures of cash, um, Hong Kong dollars being left and, and various coins uh, being left on top of, uh, of train machines. And uh, I, I didn't really at first get the significance of that. And there was talk about how essentially there's an octopus card and that is used for everything from you know, mm-hmm. basic payments through even recording attendance at school in some areas. And so it's like this, this really uber convenient card, but also tracks basically your geolocation and, you know, where you're going and so on. And so people were beginning in Hong Kong as they started to protest uh, to not use that to make their, uh, their transit trips to protest locations. And so stuff like that, I began to see that rolling out, but I didn't really get a sense of the proportion until much later as to how many people were actually involved in this thing. Um, what have you seen on, on the ground there? Like, it, it must be a massive swell. Well, well, we actually, interesting enough, uh, there was a group of people in Hong Kong that, uh, from, from Bitcoin Cash that sort of funded a campaign. Oh, wow. They, they, basically, they basically saw that and they, uh, they realized, wait, hey, these people are like, you know, they're, they're obviously starting to realize all this government track stuff is eventually going to bite them in the, bite them in the ass, right, so to speak. So, so they, they were like, well, this is the perfect time to, you know, talk about decentralized money and how, you know, if you don't own your own money, then you don't really, you don't, you, you don't really have any money, right? If your money is all like tracked and controlled by the government, which is essentially, I don't know how much you know about China, but in China, they everything is WeChat Pay now. So you know, it's all digital. There's no cash. It's all you know. Everything's tracked by the government. So whatever you pay, they can see exactly what you buy, where you go, uh, what you eat. You know, they track your faces and all that stuff, right? So, so yeah. So in Hong Kong, they did a BCH campaign. You know, they made like a water bottles and umbrellas with like you know the Bitcoin Cash uh, stuff on it. And uh, they they were giving those out, so uh, that 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 was really cool. Yeah, that was really cool. And I, I guess I guess that's just a that's a really nice microcosm of like how this this movement in many ways is just completely like grassroots. It's just people really passionate about you know being free from that centralized authoritarian thing 
and and everyone is just like you know business owners and people and students are all just coming together to basically like fund this work, this thing in different ways yeah it's interesting to see what will actually come of it without um kind of our traditional understanding of of protests and having a central you know um, um focal point in terms of a person or a leader uh that's that's super interesting i i didn't now that you're saying it it, it kind of makes sense but have you was was this a did did you anticipate something like this occurring or did this sneak up on you like it did everybody else or did you just start to notice one day when you walked outside you went oh macro uh, it, it completely completely surprised me i mean obviously um i i was there actually in two uh as 2014 in the original like hong kong protest that was the one that sort of started all and uh, in that one they i wouldn't say they were defeated but in the end you know they 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 called it off you know had some negotiations with the with the hong kong government and ultimately nothing came of it you know the government basically did nothing after all the all the protests and all the talk um so i my my assumption was that at that point i thought the hong kong people were crushed i was like you know they're not going to do another one you know basically uh you know like like i was like you know i was i was thinking they were going to go through the you know five stages of grief or whatever right like basically it would be like you know there's finally like at first they'll be angry and then like in the end they'll just kind of like accept that hey hong kong is part of china and you know we're there's nothing you can do to overturn this so right. when when this new protest happened i was honestly very very surprised by i guess i i guess i would say i'm proud of the spirit that hong kong people have like even in the face of that you know like as as we talked as as i talked about before that in the end hong kong is owned by china you know hong kong is part of china so in a way where where do they want to go with this but i i think that that spirit is really admirable i mean it's i they're definitely braver than me i mean those protest those oh, protesters man. going out and you know chucking bricks at the police station and you know stuff like that i mean i i i would it is it is bambi versus godzilla i mean uh it is, yeah, it is you yeah. know we we tend to think here in the west <clears throat> that maybe china and hong kong are on some kind of parallel or I'm not sure what we're doing here but it's not nearly getting as much coverage in terms of that that outsized uh um you know battle I mean China has you know millions and millions and millions and millions of soldiers um I mean this this would this is not a fair fight right It's not it's not but also it's it, that that brings a very interesting point is that in a way what you're seeing in Hong Kong is really a clash of ideologies Like Hong Kong has always been a place where east meets west, right? Like that's kind of it's kind of famous for for that, you know, Bruce Lee. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure everyone's kind of like heard or seen Hong Kong culture in some form or in or matter, right? Like in Blade Runner or whatever. Um, and and this is the first time like where it's really been out in the open, where we're really seeing that the values of Western liberty and democracy is just really really incompatible with um you know chinese like you know communism and socialism and that very centrally manage, managed um you know government style um and, and and in a way i would say that it's actually like bigger than people think because literally i think a lot of people are kind of going like well this is this is a huge it it's kind of like you felt like the battle between like you know uh USA and Soviet Russia right you had that mm. huge clash of ideologies and they ended up having all these like sort of proxies where you had these 
people basically, you know, I mean, remember in Germany, like, uh, you know, East and West Germany, right? You know, right. What do you think ultimately will, will come of all this? Um, I've seen now flights being canceled. Um, it definitely is at least every weekend this thing pops off. The last I'd heard, the, I guess, provincial governor or, or, or what would amount to, I guess, a mayor here in the States of, of Hong Kong um, basically acknowledged shelving the extradition bill uh, for a time. And that was almost eerily parallel with, with talks of capital flight of, of people with a lot of money moving, say into Singaporean dollars or whatever. Um, But what, if, if, if you have a crystal ball, like what kind of pressure is this putting on? Do you see on the ground and on the street on the government to actually, I mean, do you, do you think heads will ultimately be cracked? I've asked you probably six questions in this one question, but um, try to give you sort of a general vibe there. Yeah, no, I, I got your vibe. I really, really don't know. I mean, this is a very, I mean, everyone in Hong Kong is thinking the same thing. Everyone in Hong Kong is kind of going like, we really don't know where this is going to end. Like, and we just don't know. Like, like the only way this will, you know, end well is that the government in Hong Kong or the government in Beijing gives some concessions. And, you know, the concessions would be, for example, to really shelve the extradition bill for good, um, withdraw it, and not just basically have it, like, you know, frozen. Um, and, and you know, ha- you know, really investigate some of these police brutality uh, things, which is what the protesters are asking for. I think if, like, like I, I, obviously I'm in Hong Kong, so I speak to a lot of Hong Kong people, and everyone I talk to is basically like, that's what scares them. They really have no idea like how it's going to end. And I think everyone's hoping that it's not going to end catastrophically. Yeah. And that's, you know, Beijing is in, and I obviously have no sympathy for them, but uh, Beijing, <laughs> Beijing is in uh, kind of a tight spot here going forward uh, because you don't want to kind of set a weird precedent in the sense of, you know, the more you rattle the cage, you know, the better circumstances you ultimately get. And then on the other hand, I mean, is this extradition bill ultimately worth all the hassle and, you know, cost and disruption? And, and uh, I, I would have thought by now they, they, would have, they would have made some sort of concession just to ease this, uh, ease this burden a little bit. I don't know, but I, I will say that you know, in the background of this, don't forget that you also have the U.S. and China trade war, which I also feel like is actually right. part of the equation. And and I don't think that it's directly it, the, the this is directly being used as like a, a thing, you know, in in the negotiations. But 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 that's obviously looming in the background that you do have this dynamic between Xi Jinping and President Trump that basically. They are, you know, as far as I read last time, you know, the, it, it, the, the, the trade deal is going all wrong. So I feel like that, you know, I think, I think to give a bit of background, like Hong Kong is treated differently by the USA. So Hong Kong has, special, has, a, has a special trade agreement with the USA. So all these tariffs and uh, all this stuff Trump is doing does not apply to Hong Kong because uh, the US actually does treat Hong Kong like a separate country. That's legally. a great point. Um, so that's on the table actually. So basically if, if it gets to the point where, you know, I could, I could totally imagine that's actually on Trump's table right now that 
hey, you know, if you wanna, if you wanna like, you know, pressure China, you can actually do stuff to Hong Kong and like, uh, you know, sanction it or you know, uh, revoke this trade agreement you have with Hong Kong. And there's a lot of talk in Hong Kong about it, and everyone's very worried. And and I think people are very worried in Hong Kong that ultimately, if if China does say do what people fear then ultimately the u.s will kind of go like well hong kong is just another chinese city so why should we not have tariffs on hong kong when we have tariffs on the rest of china right i didn't even think so, about that yeah yeah no it's a, it's a it's a it's a really really it's a really really big thing actually it's a really big thing because uh so so once you kind of factor into that then it gets even more complicated right then you realize that on china's side they're not just thinking about hong kong as as a place where it's just having this like revolt, right? They're also going like, well, Hong Kong is this place where the U.S. can bring the trade war into yeah. it, and and that makes it very, very. I, I was I would say interesting, but it's also very, very like a mindfuck, for lack of a better word. Now that you mentioned it, my my head is swimming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you you mentioned uh, which uh, which is red meat for for Coin Spice podcast listeners here. Uh, and that is the cryptocurrency aspect of it. Uh, you said BCHers, Bitcoin cashers, uh, got involved early with the. Um, well, can you explain sort of the rationale? There's, I think, there's at least two reasons um, for having, say, umbrellas. Why that's significant, and especially now, uh, water bottles. Um, why? Can you kind of go into that a little bit more as to why those 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 two items are of particular importance to protesters? Well, obviously, umbrellas is the symbol of like the Hong Kong protests. Uh, that that really came in the first protests uh, when they used umbrellas as shields um, against the tear gas that is constantly being rained on them in the protest, um, and against the police charges and stuff like that. Um, the water bottle is obviously like you know, I mean, people need water. Number one. And number two, and number two, uh, it actually helps you wash like the. I, I think it, I think it, if you drink it, it helps you helps your tear gas a little bit. Uh, but the, but the main that we didn't choose those items. We chose items because they were just kind of like essential items in the protest. Uh, that's why they were chosen, and they were easy to kind of like quickly manufacture and you know stick the Bitcoin Cash label, and really promote this idea of you know decentralized you know currency. Uh, basically, because because they're because they're connected, right? Totally, like 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 you know. I mean, obviously, on in CoinSpice or CoinSpicers are basically behind this idea of a currency that's not controlled by government, right? So I feel like the idea of liberty and the idea of Bitcoin are are totally connected. Yeah, and 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 what's interesting is that the the the, the BCH. The way we got into it is because we kind of realized when we look at these protests, I'm like, whoa, like this is like a huge like anti-government like movement and there's no Bitcoin involved. Like nobody even knows what Bitcoin is. And that was kind of like when we went like we should do something, right? Because it's it's so weird that kind of like this would be like the one of the reasons why Bitcoin exists, right? And yet it's not being promoted or attached in any way to, you know you know, resistance of, of the government. That is fascinating. And so this is an opportunity then to kind of spread the idea of not only decentralized protests and, and, and the power of those, but 
ultimately what gets governments to react and allows people some uh, um, some modicum of, of of freedom is is in controlling their their own money and um, it, there's a lot of talk now speaking of the trade war uh, that uh, <clears throat> people in China are bidding up the price of cryptocurrencies as a result uh, I'm, I'm somewhat skeptical about that but because I'm, I'm it, it makes so much sense to me it's almost too good to be true uh, but what what are your thoughts uh, before I let you go here on um, on things like the protest and the trade war and uh, and their overall impact on on cryptocurrency usage or adoption? Um, I feel like China has been a big part of cryptocurrency, you know, for not for a long time. If not, it's 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 probably like a huge portion of the entire you know cryptocurrency economy. You know, the and and the reason for that is very simple. I mean, because the Chinese, when they make the money or they have the money, they, they want to be free, right? And obviously, the chi- China wants to not have that money. You know, they want to track that money and not have that money, like, you know, leave the country, right? Um, so ultimately, you know, whatever China does, and they've tried to do a lot of things to Bitcoin, Bitcoin remains like a huge, uh, highly desirable asset in China because you know, it's, it can be used to exactly to avoid, you know, the Chinese government, basically. Really appreciate you uh, staying up and, and doing this. Uh, it was a very short notice. And um, wow, we, I just learned a ton. And <laughs> lastly, make sure you stay safe, all right? Yes, yes, I will do. I will do that. I know. Thanks, thanks for having me on the, on the podcast. 